G'day guys, Jay here with another episode of Pesty Profiles, the, the podcast where we put the spotlight on the best in the pest business. Um, instead of actually putting the spotlight on a pesty, we're actually going to put a spotlight on a pest that we actually deal with. Um, and this particular week, we're actually going to talk about bees. So uh, with that, I am going to introduce Ben Moore from Ben's Bees. How are you, Ben? Hey, Jay, how you doing? I am sensational, mate. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome to hear. Now, I've got to jump in and say I'm one of you guys because I'm a licensed pesty as well. I, I was going uh, to lead to that. I was going to say, you know, not only <laughs> we actually, when I actually say the best in the pest business, that actually includes you because you are oh, an you. actual licensed pesty. So even, right. even though you. your main focus is actually bees, you actually are a licensed pesty. That's right. Certainly did. I did my quite a few years ago now. Yep. Done uh, over in AgServe in, uh, in Melbourne. Yeah. Got my pest license. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Um, and just to give um, how small this actual world is, um, so many, 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 so both you and I are actually, well, were actually into reptiles. That's right. And yes. we both lived in Victoria uh, at, one right. po- at one point. And you currently live in Victoria, and I'll get to that in yes. a minute. Um, and, and I remember many, many, many years ago actually buying uh, a few uh, southern angle-headed dragons off you. And then some time passed, and then I was just Googling, Facebooking, and I saw this Ben's Bees, and I thought, oh, this guy's really, really cool. And I started watching some of your stuff, and then suddenly the penny dropped, and I've gone, I know this guy. I actually bought some Southern Angler-headed dragons off you. And I then mean- I contacted you because I started listening to your podcast, that's right. So just to, to the listeners – and I'll get. I'll let you actually introduce um, yourself later on, Ben, as your podcast. Yes, yes. So Ben actually has a podcast as well called Ben's Bees. So I contacted Ben and um, said, "How do I get in this podcast business?" And you gave me some pointers, and you basically are responsible for me actually creating this actual Pesty Profiles podcast and pointing me in the right direction, and, and me- uh, mentored me to a degree and guided me and what to actually use and how to do it. Uh, and then we started chatting, and you actually told me you actually. Lo- used to live in Noosa. And yes. <laughs> how weird is this world? It is. How funny is it? Isn't it funny? You know what's funny? At that pet shop, so when I was working there, I loved it because I could uh, do my bee business on the side because obviously, you know, with bees, it's very seasonal. Yes. But it was actually funny. I'm not sure if he went around the back of the shop, but between the two buildings, 365 and 367, no kidding, Jay, I had over 40 hives between the two buildings. <laughs> and, and and just on the corner was Lane Toyota, right? And they used to complain about these little yellow dots in all the cars. Oh. And that was me that was me bees defecating all over their cars. For oh, years. Well. <laughs> oh well. Uh, so all right, give us a bit of a um uh, I guess a brief background and what you've actually done and where you are now and what you actually do, just to give you some bit of credibility about talking about bees. Uh, thanks, Jay. So yeah, so as far as so I'm forty four, uh just turned forty four a couple of weeks ago and it's actually interesting. So I'm a first generation beekeeper and but I started keeping bees when I was fourteen. Now true story, I said to mum and dad, I don't want a puppy or a kitten, I wanted a beehive. So I was never influenced by any uh, any beekeepers, but I had his book, Beekeeping in the UK, and I just loved him. And I used to was fascinated by him. So that was thirty years ago. Um, it's been a business for me, so I was actually making sort of uh, for um, money as a little little side hustle uh, since two thousand and eight. 
I've been, um, yeah, been doing it. So I absolutely love it. There's so many aspects to bees, which we're going to get into about saving bees and some tips and tricks for some of the pesties on how they can make some extra income. Yeah, look, I must, look at, yeah, yeah, I must admit, sorry to interrupt you every now and then, mate, but I must admit um, my background being, you know, critters, entomology, um, social insects, it's just it's that next level, that degree of just fascination with them and, and bees obviously fit right into that actual profile. Oh, they certainly do, absolutely do. And they're just so crucial to humans because, you know, look at, look at what we eat. You know, one in every three mouthfuls of food that we eat has been influenced by a bee. Now, that could be obviously we think of almonds, fruit, citrus, that type of thing, but it can be indirectly, say, obviously pollinating the canola which actually might feed the chickens. So we have that indirect. Um, How did you know I'm in the chickens? <laughs> Are you in the chickens? Yeah, I'm, oh, mate, I've become a massive chicken breeder lately. <laughs> oh, I'm going to ask what, 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 I know we're digressing here, but what breeds of chickens? Oh, mate, I've got them all at the moment. I've got Barnavaldas, Wine Dots, Polish, um, Belgium Duclays, a uh, few Frizzles. What else have I got amongst that mix? Um, yeah, and you then know French Morants? Sorry? What about French Morants? You know French Morants? Oh, little yeah, dark yeah, nah, I'm not getting into them just yet. There's so many different breeds you can get into. Oh, in there. And then the that's, color, that's all, all the different color forms. That's right. But let's do a podcast on chickens. All right. Done. <laughs> oh, and Hamburgs. I've got Hamburgs. Awesome. Uh, that's what, cool. What else have I got? Anyway, let's keep going. This podcast is about bees, not chickens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's actually kind of interesting, Jay, because they actually go to a certain degree hand in hand, obviously, you know, keeping really? bees has got this where, yeah, well, they do actually because, you know, chickens are Permaculture. Yeah, permaculture. And they actually, there is a certain symbiosis in having the two because chickens obviously eat little grubs. There's a few pests and diseases that obviously affect bees and they can actually work well, um, the chickens with the, the bees. So scratch around the hives, um, eating the various grubs. Ah, hive beetle in that because they basically yes. crawl, out, crawl out of the hive, drop down on the ground and then pupate in the actual soil, don't they? Yeah, that's spot on. Now, you got bees, Jay? Uh, I've got native bees, native stingless bees. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. Makes me jealous. <laughs> Too cold down here in Melbourne for them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, keep going, mate. Yeah, so, yeah, so, uh, so we're keeping bees. So uh, business since 2008. Now, it's actually interesting what I love. You know, there's just so much to learn. And this goes for any pest. You know, there's always something to learn, always new technologies and things coming through, uh, which I absolutely love. But I do many things. So, you know, like I've got a little online shop. Um, I'll be honest with you, and for the listeners, COVID was great for me. You know, I could travel. I was going through, uh, well, obviously Melbourne was the most locked down city mm. of the world. Yeah. I was lucky when all my vehicles were all badged up with, Ben's bees going through checkpoints, you know, doing pollination, which is a big part of my business. So I went out hives. You got black and yellow mm. utes, haven't you? They, I certainly do. Yes, yeah, so everything's. I think yellow is sort of my colour. Yeah. Everything I've got is uh, nice and bright, bright uh, yellow, which really, really stands out. I'm looking at. <laughs> I'm looking at your website right now, mate. So, um, and I'm reading it. Yeah, royal jelly beehives for sale, bee and swarm removal, European wasp removal, beehive pollination, honey for sale, wax for sale, host a hive podcast, school education, bee resources, and the list goes on. Public speaking. Yes, I know. So uh, consulting, you know, in bee. Yes. And that's a really, it's really cool because it's a mixed bag. So, you know, that's what I love. I can be, you know, uh, putting some bees somewhere, you know, where there's no reception, you know, far the other side of the Yarra Valley. Uh, One day, next day, I could be doing a talk to some blue collar workers in on Collins Street. So that's what I absolutely love, 
love that part, you know, the diversification. That's I think why pesties do love it because there's every the variety scenario is different. That's right, every scenario is different. The pest yeah. we could have a car- carpet beetle or something in one instance, and tackling that in another house could be same same problem, yeah. but obviously dealing with different materials. Yeah, every yeah. Cu- every couple of hours, it's a nif- different scenario, different pest, different um, job situation, um, and yeah, I guess that's exactly the same with your role at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. No, and I absolutely love it. You know, when I'm not working with bees, I'm dreaming about them. <laughs> and I just absolutely – I've even got the bee tattoo. There you go. That's, that's how obsessed I am. What, only no, one tattoo? Uh, well, yeah, I've got a couple, but one one's a nice big bee one on my shoulder. Yeah, okay. Um, I wonder if Do pesties have any, like, like tattoos of cockroaches or, you know, no, anything? Oh, th- there's a couple of guys that have got, you know, sort of – I guess, pest or insect-related actual um, tattoos. But there's a bit of an in-joke about um, BASF. BASF is a bit yeah. of a uh, – what not cold. What's the word I'm looking for? It's a bit of a uh, – Organisation. Organisation. <laughs> but it's something that you uh, – it's in your blood, so to speak. You're a big fanboy type thing. And then yeah, there's a bit of a joke kicking around. You haven't quite got the BASF tattoo yet or the Termidor tattoo yet. That's funny. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So yeah, so no, it's really no, absolutely loving. Just a, as I said, a diversification, and you know, it's very seasonal. Um, yes, that's one thing I do. Yeah, sort of can struggle Which is with it. I mean, a mm. big downside, isn't it? It is a downside, especially sort of having that cash flow because as pesties, yeah. we're generally we might be working for someone, but a lot of us obviously got our own business, and I work in with a lot of pesties too. You know, what I mean, sort of they handball me jobs and I handball them jobs, so yep. um, which works really, really well. But it can be seasonal because winter uh, is when I have my downtime, and I usually go up to where you are, Jay. Nice sunny Noosa, mate. You need to stop winter. in. <laughs> Certainly will. Nah, for sure. Absolutely love it up there. Beautiful part of the world. Damn, why? Why Ewa? Did you say Ewa? So, no, 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 I want to come up there again. Ah. Like, absolutely, yes. Yeah, I love all through all through that hinterland and the sunny coast and yep. uh, from Budrum, you know what I mean? That's Kingaroy. It's beautiful country up there, absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah. No arguments here, mate. No arguments here <laughs> at all. Yeah. If I could get in Victoria, I'm kicking and screaming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't blame me. Especially winter time. Especially oh, winter. Can't do it anymore. No. Sick, <laughs> sick of winter being yeah. nine months of the year. Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. Uh, no be- beautiful up there. Absolutely, uh, absolutely love it. So, but yeah, so that's what we get away. But usually, obviously, pre-COVID, uh, I would go away a lot overseas. And so, what I would do, like I'd say, travel Europe, yep. you know, Asia, could be Vietnam. You know, I, and what I'd do is, obviously, I'd go, I'd find beekeepers. Oh, taxi that's what exactly tax deduction a tax deductible holiday what is what is better than that having a holiday that's tax deductible mate I do exactly the same thing with pest control we go to pest wells and all the pest conferences exactly exactly they're all starting up again now which is they are uh, yes yes we've got we've got a bee uh, bee conference in June Uh, and bee conferences would be huge wouldn't they oh fair income it is unbelievable worldwide big time Oh, in, insane. Now, we're talking. So, so for the listeners, to give them a, a gauge, so just yeah. before COVID, just before COVID, so 2019, there was one called Apimondia. Uh, they changes every two years, different parts of the world. This was in Montreal, Canada. There was over 10,000 delegates, 10,000 people. Holy shit. From every, <laughs> I know, exactly, from every part of the globe that can keep bees. Now, we're talking from... 
Ethiopia, Mongolia, um, oh, from South America, from Chile, from Ireland, and and we're all this. It was amazing. Like it's, I'm almost getting goosebumps because I, so, I want to get back there. So just mm. to give you some, I guess, comparison with figures. Um, so Nikki, my wife, we go to Pest World. So I remember in 2000, and, uh, let me get this right, uh, 19. We no, 2018. We went to uh, Orlando. Florida okay, yes. called Pestwelt, and awesome. there was uh, three and a half thousand delegates. That was it. Okay. Yep. Okay. And, th- and then we went to San Diego in 2019, and it was yes. slightly higher. So we're talking, so on average, it's typically about 350 um, storeholders, and there's about okay. three and a half thousand um, delegates, roughly. So you compare yes. that to your. B conferences, we're talking 10,000 in 10, Canada. Plus in Canada, 10,000 yeah. plus. It's, it's incredible. It's just like unbelievable. And it just, you know, keeping bees and, and different things. Because like, people, you know, we think of bees, the first thing obviously we think of is honey. Mm. But there are people keeping bees specifically for bee venom. Ah. Oh. Because, yeah, yes, yeah, bee venom. So, so using that, uh, there's a lot of research in there. Obviously, you know, we think of uh, Botox, yes. um, uh, both, you know, sort of uh, natural Botox, but also, too, they're using bee venom, so the apitoxin in cancer research. So okay. incredible stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so amazing, amazing research. While we look at bees, they're the most studied creature after humans. The wow. humble European honeybee, my study wow. creature. Yeah, and just to give throw another figure in there, I know the Australian National Pest Conferences averages between three and four hundred delegates. Okay, wow. Okay, so, that's yeah. interesting. It's significantly okay. less than ten thousand. Well, okay, that's interesting. So when we look at so the Australian, so there's the yes, fourth. That's what's going to well, fourth, you. Yeah. So the one in June, so the fourth Australian bee. Conference or bee symposium, yep. uh, bee conference, yep. Australian, Australasian, no, Australian bee conference. So they, at last one was four years ago in the Gold Coast. Um, and that's that where we have ours. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, the big conference set up there just oh. in. Um, so we typically, traditionally, it's been at the Crown Casino. Um, okay. Occasionally yep. we have it at the Royal Palms. Um, but Royal I Palms. think they've settled on having it at the uh, Crown Casino now because it's just a very. Um, central location and everything yes. is there we want. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah, hotels, food. Yes, yeah, everything's bars. there, bars, yeah. Bars. Casino, bars. casino. Yeah, casino, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so but, where's the bee conference held at in Australia? Uh, so, so the, the um, she's coming up in Sydney, and I think it's Rose Rose Hill Gardens. Oh, uh, um, yeah, we did the one there, Gardens. actually, the press conference. Mm, wasn't real good, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, it looks a bit older. That's I, I didn't notice from the photos. It looked... Um, is that, I think they, is that yeah. the race course? That's the one, yes. Yeah, is. and the combination is across the road. You've got to walk across a busy road. Yeah, well, I've, I've got a couple of uh, well, well, me and a couple of the lads, um, we've got an Airbnb. We've got the party house going okay. on about 20 minutes away. So. Party in the penthouse. <laughs> That's right. But it's. Uh, I think they estimate, well, I know Gold Coast had 800 delegates. Okay. Um, because, well, yeah. Okay. So. Let's double yeah, pesties. Wow. Yes, yeah, which is it's a massive industry. That industry. That's what I'm trying to lead to. Is it's just it is an absolute monstrosity of an industry compared to, you know, pest control. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, well, if you look, at, okay, so if we look at figures, um, which, which I'll be interested to hear figures as far as what pesties sort of there as an industry in Australia, but with 
bees, so so honey aside, they're worth I think fourteen point two billion dollars per year annually. Fourteen point two billion. Now that's now that's pollination. Okay. So that's yeah, so that's the biggest thing. And I think honey, I think it's estimated about seven hundred and fifty million dollars per year for the local and export markets. So what are the figures for pest for pesties? Is it like a figure? I Jay? have no idea. Absolutely no idea. <laughs> It's, yeah, because I know with um, with like a lot of the chemicals, a lot of them are more for crops because that's obviously yes. a big industry as yeah. opposed so to crop is yeah. a monstrosity compared to urban pest management. Yes. Urban pest management is just negligible, small amount. So, you know, all the products that we actually use are basically byproducts of the crop industry, agricultural ah, industry. Okay. Yeah. So yes, what we yeah. get, we just get the leftovers and just the remainders. Yes, yeah. And that's something I learned from one of your previous podcasts with um, Mark Linton. Yes. Is with the crops, they want more non-residual insecticides, but yes. within a, a commercial or a domestic, you want more of a residual insecticide, which I thought was interesting. It's mm. very interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. Cool. All right. Um, continue on with a little bit about, more about yourself, mate. Yeah. So um, obviously been keeping bees business since 2008, um, once I, I think I've created a what I, I think. Well, I love it. You know, I mean, I do it for free. You know, I mean, I work with bees uh, all the time. But I think I've the I've done well in the sense of a, a business. I think because of my diversification. You know, I can do. Uh, we make beeswax candles. Uh, we do, as you mentioned before, school incursions. You know, where we can talk to um to you know young children, adults, and things. You know, about the importance of bees. Because, uh, you know, you talk to people about bees, you know, this day and age, it's like, wow, you know what I mean? It's, this is so fascinating. People will think it's like like beekeepers almost like rock stars, you know what mate, I mean, in a, in a weird mate, sort of way. I can way. tell you right now why you're so successful. <laughs> why, why is that? It's like, your personality. Looks, you've got the most... Oh, inf- I was going to say, my looks, Jay, come on. You've got the <laughs> most infectious personality. You are just so, you're just so excitable about bees. It is hard not to love you and it's hard not to love bees <laughs> just talking to you. Uh, thanks, Jay. No, I appreciate it. I thought you were going to say my, my lovely bushy beard. It's going great <laughs> <out there. laughs> it's, it's actually now, the reason why I got a beard is it actually not because I'm some sort of hipster from Melbourne, but it's actually for protection because often really I I get stung you know, stung by bees and that just gives me on the face it starts to tickle. <laughs> it starts it starts to tickle. Now there's, there's a question I get asked. You know, a common question is, um, you know, do I get you know, how if I get stung? Now I've been stung that many times. Now we're probably it's hard to put a figure on it because I sort of forget over the years. Probably, and I'll, I'll, I oh, won't be a bloke. You can you cannot over keep cannot. Yep, <laughs> I'll under exaggerate, but probably tens of thousands of times. Yep, but there's been a repercussion, and uh, this is a few years ago now. This would have been 2015, 2016. I had to get a wisdom tooth pulled out. Yeah, and funny enough, because of the the uh, the bee venom, it was interesting, Jay. It actually the anaesthetic didn't work. And the really? dentist was, yeah, and it's actually, I found out later. I know. I could feel it. Now, it wasn't like a crazy pain where just smack me on the head with this, I want this done, you know, get this over and done with. But it was actually, I could feel it. And she was. She said, I've used a maximum, like, legally, like, a dentist can use before my heart probably caves in or something. But it's, yeah, fair income. It was unbelievable. And, um, yeah, looking into it later. So there's a, a repercussion of that. Now, obviously, I know, I know some pesties who have become – Anaphylactic yep. to to bees. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well. Yeah. It does um, it does happen because you know bees 
stings. It's, it's toxic, and um, yeah, it can be it can 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 be lethal. Well, I can actually share to this story, mate. Uh, many 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 moons ago, I used to be right into scorpions, and I was locally known as a scorpion man. And I used to supply, and more than likely supplied your pet shop with scorpions. So I used to supply scorpions by the hundreds. Um, to awesome. most of the pet shops in Victoria and some of them New South Wales and Queensland. Um, and a bit like you, you lose count of the number of times you get stung and I got okay. stung literally hundreds if not almost thousands yeah. of times by scorpions. I just got, I just got basically blasé about it and I just reach in to grab a scorpion and pick him up and it would sting me multiple times. But I noticed towards the end there I started getting a few stings that started to – flare up a bit and swell, oh, swell a little bit and oh, what's interesting um yeah and then even with bees i copped a few stings so uh, obviously as you know i was a pest controller in victoria yes and yes. in peak swarming season so that spring those fine days i used to we used to get like we used to i used to do like a swarm literally like one or two a day during those yes. peak days. Yes. And um, the boss so, would hear me yeah. go, Jay, I've got another one for you, Jay. I've got another one for you. Can you do it on your way home? Yeah, 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 yeah. And so it's the end of the day, you're tired, you, you know, I won't bother suiting up. I'll just get in here, do it, get out. Um, and, of course, you'd cop the odd sting. Um, but there was a couple there where I got in the knuckle or in the, you know, crucial joint of my hand and my whole hand yeah. would – Swell up, and I couldn't move my hand at all. Yeah, but mm. it's it's interesting, you know. Like it's um, yeah, it does really knock people around. I've got a funny story. I had, I had a job it was over in Sandringham, so that's sort of the Bayside area of Melbourne. Yep. And there was a swarm, and a young bloke he actually stood on a, a bee. Um, must have been displaced from the swarm, and, this, and this, I rocked up. This kid was wailing. This kid was just—he was hysterical. And the and the mum and dad are concerned, and the pain. He's got tears just rolling, flowing down his eyes. So I go up there, and this is a funny story actually. And so I go up there, and this is a swarm. So I go and grab a bee, and I go check this out, mate. So I'll, I'll get the bee back for you. So I grab the bee, and I made it sting the back of my hands. Yep. And this kid, fair income, Jay. He went from wailing to like almost hysterical laughter in like like almost like milliseconds. That's it was awesome. unbelievable. And, and I've got his, yeah, it was funny. I, I was, but the mum and dad are looking at me going, this bloke's off his head. What's he doing? I could see the mum and dad yep. looking at me going, he's just got to beg it to stay himself. But it was funny. Anyway, the kids stopped crying. Is the bee industry a bit like where you get a few beers in here and you're all standing around a beehive and you all grab a bee and you try and sting in the most <laughs> sensitive <laughs> area? It's well. It's actually a lot of beekeepers, and including myself. You know, sometimes because we have that winter period, because obviously we're not living on the on the beautiful sunny coast, and it's obviously the bees yeah. we're not working with them. Uh, so June, July, a lot of beekeepers will actually, you know, every couple of days we'll grab a bee um, that's you know it's probably on its way out and um, and sting ourselves to keep <laughs> that that toxicity, that venom going. Yeah, fair income. This is that's true. A lot of beekeepers will do that because you go from winter no stings to spring, you know, possibly with multiple stings. Um, it actually keeps your your your, your sensitivity yeah, in check. Your immunity, mm. so to speak. Immune system. That's right. Yeah. Exactly. I, I cast my mind back to a couple of very few drunken nights where me and a few mates have grabbed out my scorpions and we dared each other to sting ourselves in the most sensitive areas. And I'm not going to go into <laughs> I'm not going to go into details as where we where it got to in the end. But yeah, I'm just visualising uh, April's beekeepers doing a very similar situation. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, that's the exact. I think yeah. I think it must be something with insects. You know, be be aphrius and pesties. You know, yeah. That's God, a, that's a funny one. People that keep critters, mate. They're just a bent, uh, twisted, yeah, sense of humour. A bit, a bit, a bit um, eccentric sort of word. Hey, yep. here's a question for you, Jay. Is is obviously being a pesty in Melbourne, pesty up in the Queensland, the sunny coast. Yep. Well, what's the two biggest differences? Oh, massive differences, mate. Um, so as I said, when I was down in Victoria, uh, treating bees was almost during the peak season. Was all, It was a daily occurrence. Yes. Um, yep. In Sunshine Coast, I am lucky to do five or six bee swarms a year at the most. Wow. Wow. And I'm talking job, not just swarms. We're actually talking established hives as well. I am lucky wow. to do half a dozen a year. Um, why is that? Why is that? Uh, well, bees just don't seem to have a big um, stronghold here on the sunny coast. Um, European okay. honeybees just don't have a, a big stronghold here on the sunny coast. Whereas down Victoria, you know, you got to look canola crops. Um, yeah. Yep. 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 And so, because I was based when I was especially down there, I was based on the Ballarat Peninsula, and that's predominantly yes. canola crops. And so, yes. Um, yep. massive bee population, and obviously massive uh, a lot of apiaries down there. Um, yes. But if you're saying other pest control-wise, obviously Sunshine Coast has a massive um, termite influence. Okay. Uh, pretty much you've got to assume that you've got termites knocking out the door. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, whereas in Victoria, termites, it's a little bit of ignorance, so to speak. Um, people just aren't aware of the presence of termites. And even though we did lots and lots and lots of termite work down there, it was probably due more to ignorance. People just didn't realise the potential for termites down there. Um, and then, of course, look, there's so many aspects, actually, like cockroaches. Cockroaches just ramp it up here. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, you know, Victoria is just, yeah, shining cockroaches. They're just, yeah, they're just not down there, like what we've got out here. Yeah. Now, and, Jay, what about um, another question on that, just out of interest, is mm-hmm. um, is there any pests up in the sunny coast that we don't get down here in Melbourne? Oh, heaps. Oh, really? Okay. Heaps. Interesting. Okay. But I just can't think of it right now. Yeah, okay. It's, 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 oh, man, it's an 8 o'clock at night. I'm just well, – I've had a couple of beers after week. But no, no, all right, pass down. Um, okay. yeah, well, yeah, just what would be – Ah, jeez. All right, what have we got up here? So we get a lot of uh, case-making clothes moths up here, whereas down okay. in yes. down yes. Victoria it was mostly webbing um, clothes moths and carpet beetles. Very, beetles, very yes. gutted carpet beetles, and we just—I have not seen very gutted carpet beetles up here on the Sunshine Coast. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, obviously, a lot, 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 lot more um, termite activity. Um, yep. Ants. Oh um, uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, white-footed house ants um, make up dominantly the most predominant ant um, species we get up uh, up our way. Okay. Uh, what else have we got up here that's a little bit different? We get a lot. I guess with the Sunshine Coast, you get a lot of random stuff. Just, you know, um, red-shouldered leaf beetles. Um, just a lot, a lot oh, okay. of random stuff. Um, paper wasps, and that ties back to you. Yes, We yes. get a lot of different species of paper wasps up here um, than compared to actually Victoria. Um, uh, long grub, true long grub. We're not talking cockchafers. We're actually talking okay. long yes. grub um, up here. We get a lot of that up here. Um, so, yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? That's really interesting. That's and it's more so as far as up there during the. There's more consistent work over the sort of the 
know, the yeah, I definitely say our seasons extend out a lot more yes. than what um, Victoria does. Victoria yes. really does suffer its lulls. Yeah. Um, yep. It's a little bit more consistent up here. Um, but, you know, rodents, um, inventory of rodents are just, uh, as soon as that cold, those cold nights yeah. hit, those really cold yeah. weather hits, the rodents just head indoors, whereas we don't tend to get that as much. Um, our nights are obviously, even through winter, a little bit more molder, so we don't get those real influxes with, um, with yes. rodents. We certainly okay. get, you know, the occasional sort of, uh, I guess, influx or peak in, in rodents. Uh, but definitely mice, we just hardly get mice whereas really yeah okay. i know when i was in victoria as soon as those cold nights hit all the mice from all the fields and all the paddocks just head indoors where it's a little bit more stable temperatures um but yeah not um up here we just i'm like i said i'm lucky to probably get i don't know a dozen mice jobs a year at the most um and even uh rat species predominantly when i was down in victoria it was mostly um ratus norvegicus which is obviously the brown rat or norway rat that was yes, predominantly, yep. uh, whereas it's the complete reverse up here. Um, it's predominantly uh, ratus ratus, which is the roof rat or black rat. That, that's interesting. Mm. You know, because it's interesting, you just hit the nail on the head there about how, you know, sort of prolific they can be down here. Now, I might be doing a job, say, for, you know, bees or, you know, it could be a delivery of whatever. And they say, and I'll, I'll read one in every maybe six clients would say, oh, do you do mice or rats? Yeah. Okay. They're just that bad. They're just that bad. You know what I mean? And I'm, you know, obviously licensed to, to do them, but yep. it's, I don't, I try and I'm just so busy with the other stuff. But yeah, it's interesting. Like, and it's now, we're in, we're in the end of March, the nights are just getting cool. I've got a jumper on, you know what I mean, now. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, so it's pro- probably the first night I put a jumper on. It's, mm. it's not bit- bitterly cold by any means, but you just, and you hit the nail on the head, they start, they're on the move. They're trying to get their stores, their fat stores up and there. Yeah. Interesting. And, of course, European wasps, yeah, we just do not get – European wasps don't extend this far up. Oh, I know, exactly. Yep. And that's – I um, I, I love and loathe those. And, um, yeah, we should, <laughs> we should talk about those at some stage. We will. Yeah. We definitely yeah. will. Yeah. Yes. Cool. All right. Um, so let's um, – so you, you run a podcast, Ben's Bees. Well, uh, Bees with Ben. Bees with Ben. It goes the other way. Yes, yep. Bees with Ben. Yep. Yes. Um, and you've been running that for a while now, haven't you? Yeah, it's been. Well, I sort of started it. It's been coming up uh, two years. Two, next month is two years, I think. Okay, so give, um, give yourself a little yeah. bit of a plug, because uh, I yeah, know there's so, a lot of pesties that would love to uh, tune in and listen to. Yes, uh, yeah, well, yeah, thank you. Um, so, bees with Ben, you'll find on all the p- platforms. And um, I'll put I'll put that in the actual podcast notes as well for you. Oh, awesome! Thanks, Jake. Thank you. <laughs> um, it, it's very different as far as I learned that so from you. Yes, yeah, well, I could be talking about, say, a commercial beekeeper from Tassie, um, like Lindsay Fox running, you know, 2,500 hives. I was talking, I've got, you know, sort of friends from overseas, so keeping bees in Norway, you know what I mean? I, yep. I don't know about you, but I think, you know, uh, Norway, I think Snow, Santa Claus, um, you know, drinking schnapps. Um, yeah, that's what I sort of think of Norway. But, yeah, so it's a really mixed bag. Manuka, obviously Manuka Madness, uh, which is an interesting one. It's, okay. uh, actually, I should I should jump in and say uh, I'm not sure of uh, many Kiwi listeners, and I do apologise to the Kiwi pesties and listeners. Yeah, because um, Manuka's a Kiwi thing, isn't it? They actually chop her well, in. Oh, hang on. Oh, yes. This is stretching my knowledge here, but they actually chop her in to extract the honey from hives that are in a Manuka plantation. Have I got this right? That, that's spot on, but what's actually kind of, 
funny is we've just been at the High Courts of London uh, recently uh, because the Kiwis wanted to trademark that name, Manuka. And um, just like our rugby and, uh, and cricket, uh, well, we obviously won that won that little uh, war with our with our comrades over in New Zealand. So, so we're allowed to call it that because they, it's like well, it's like the Chinese gooseberry. A lot of people, you know, what's a Chinese gooseberry? Yeah, people it's kiwi fruit. Kiwi fruit. That's right. <laughs> well, manuka. But and, and it's, it's actually an interesting story because it comes from uh, manuka or manaka, the Maori word. Oh, manaka. Okay. Manaka. Yeah, manaka. It's, but it's actually interesting because it's it's the specific. So it's nectar from a tea tree called Leptospermus corparium, and it produces, obviously, manuka honey. Now, they've got one species in New Zealand. We've got over 70 here. And actually, if you probably went for a walk within a five-minute walk of your place um, up there, Jay, you'd have it up there. Oh, wow. Um, Yeah, the the scorparium. And we actually have the highest – well, it's actually – what we have in Australia has got the almost double – the rating of the highest what's in New Zealand, and that's and that's true. And it's, it's now it's interesting when we think of manuka. Obviously, we think of obviously you know New Zealand and it's medicinal, but it's got this magical ingredient called MGO methylglyoxal. And what's really super interesting about manuka is you can obviously use it medicinally. So uh, it's you know, science behind it. You know, I'm not a hippie. I might look like one, but I'm not so much of a hippie. Um, <laughs> but it's, um, it's interesting because there's the science behind manuka, manuka honey is incredible. So so they're using it in medi honey in hospitals. Yeah. It will. So the high range stuff will cure uh, things like say diabetic ulcers where antibiotics won't. And it's because it's high range. Now, it's got to be ideally you know, above five to 800 MGO, which yeah. you're looking at around two to $500 per kilo. Oh, um, shit. I, I, yeah, I'm crazy. I've got a jar here, which was sent for me from, um, from up there, not far from you. Um, it's a 350-gram jar, and that's worth $299. <laughs> And, and now, now we think oh, we go crazy. This is, Spread that on your toast. Exactly, I know it's a bit of BS, but it's actually no. There's science behind it. So, so, if, so for the listeners, if you cut yourself and it's not healing, uh, especially tropical environments, you can get those sort of tropical sores. Fair dinkum, slap a bit of honey on there, a bit of good good quality manuka honey. That's got to be the high range stuff. That's the the low range stuff is not as um, potent well, in this methylglyoxal. I can mm. actually vouch for this because when I was actually living in Victoria, um, as you know, I used to be a reptile keeper and I used to have a, an igloo hothouse full of um, shingleback lizards. Oh. And, and an issue that I had at one point there was the moisture in the ground was too high and shingleback lizards obviously come from very dry climate, started to develop these blisters or ulcers on the underside of their belly. And I researched and researched how am I rectifying this, obviously rectifying the moisture conditions, but of course I had to, had to heal the actual ulcers or the blisters first. Okay, uh, yes, And I yes. come up with using manuka honey, onto it and then glad wrapping them yes yes. and that's what i did so i actually got them spread a layer of manuka honey on it and then actually wrapped a roll of glad wrap around their actual bellies to actually hold the manuka honey uh on the actual ulcer or the actual sore the blister uh and with obviously without dragging all the soil and grit and everything to stick to it uh, and that's what the purpose of the glad wrap was and it healed them up 
Isn't that awesome? Mm. And it, and it's just, and there's science behind it. It's yes. not yeah. like a, like it'd be sort of you know wave some you know some sage burning sage over the top of them or something like that. <laughs> it's actually there is you know what I mean? there is a bit of a science behind it. That's that's awesome. But you know it's on the flip side. It's actually also interesting when we look at honey. Now, honey is the only natural food item to humans that does not have a shelf life. They found honey in the pharaoh's tombs dating back 3,000 BC, so 5,000 years old, still fed into Jay, still edible 5,000 years later. Yeah, you can have that. No, thanks. Oh, no, I'll have um, that. No, no. Old, old game <laughs> no, I'll eat that. I definitely, I'd, I'd go for a, uh, I'd try that for sure. It would be amazing. It's like food that's 5,000 years old to eat it. I reckon yeah, no, no, I'm going for the big dig with me, with me finger for a bit of Egyptian 5,000-year-old honey. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, no. mm. it's also, too, it's actually interesting when we look at honey, you know, honey on the flip side of all this, it's actually the most one of, one of the most fraudulent food items in the world. Yeah. So, so you go, yeah, and the reason is, so as a beekeeper, so I run quite a few hives, and as a beekeeper, you can How many hives you got? Oh, I've got, so it's interesting, um, I, it does fluctuate throughout the years, but I'd have, yeah, over 350 now. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah which is small, like, I'm not big by any means, because I, yeah, it's I, big and that's, yeah, that's it's, probably the, yeah. the biggest reason why I haven't got into uh, European honeybees, is just simply the workload that goes with, Yes. You know, just even running one hive, yes, let alone correct. 350, I just don't have the time. Or, um, yeah, it's a, big, it's a big job. It's a labour of love, um, that's for sure. Because so you do some um, massive days in summer, don't you? Oh, it's, yeah, insane. It's insane. So so for the listeners, I so I'll drive um, or oh, can be in excess of about three, 4,000 kilometres a week. Like, so like now I'm doing I'm doing about a thousand to fifteen hundred, which is which is actually hurting because the de- the price on diesel oh, just yep. back a little bit now. Yep. But I, I suppose that's I'm complaining, but you know what, all pesties are in the same boat as me. You know what I mean? It's so, but you know, so I move bees to orchards and things like that. So yeah, hmm. uh, I'm lucky to do a couple hundred kilometers a, a week, mate. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. I've I've narrowed my. Uh, my business down to a, I operate within a 10, 15 minute radius of Noosa and that's it. Oh, fair income. Mm-hmm. Oh, your job, Jake. I, I was smart that's early it. in the early in the piece. You're living the dream. That's awesome. Well, I, I learned very early when I was a pasty down in Victoria, you know, we used to cover like the whole of Ballyon Peninsula, Surf Coast Shire, right out to uh, Golden Plain Shire and it, it'd be nothing yeah. to drive from, you know, hour between jobs. And yes. so when I started yes. my own, I go, this doesn't make sense, you know. Oh, yeah, I want to yeah. just keep it short and sweet, you know. Drive five, ten minutes to each job. That's it, and so that's all. Yeah, that's. Mm. So are you mostly domestic, commercial, or a bit of both? Um, mostly domestic, but we do have a fairly big um, strata sort of commercial portfolio. So we do okay. a lot, do yeah. a lot of the resorts up here as well. Yeah, okay. They're yeah. like our sort of bread and butter, um, but definitely the domestic is our yeah, our cream. Yes, yeah. My um, my ex wife used to work at the uh, the French Quarter there. Oh wow. God, <laughs> it's oh, a small world. It is a small world. It is. I, I remember when she was working there, and she'd um, finish, and uh, sometimes I'd pick her up because uh, living sort of fifteen minutes away. I mean, I'll never forget. I used to love moving up there because she got the job pretty quick. Is the cane toads? <laughs> well, there you go. There's a pest that we we get yeah, up we here. Yeah. Now, what do you do about, what, what do you, what do you do about cane toads? Golf is club. There, is there golf club. Golf club. Yeah. Golf yeah. club. Uh, no, um, actually, my latest 
uh, thing is the gel blasters. The um, oh. you know the guns that you soak the little balls in um, water and they soak up to a gel. Yeah, yeah, they're really, yeah, okay. really good for cane toads and uh, Asian house geckos. Okay, interesting. There you go. I had to do a. I was on. Um, it was Channel Nine News some years ago, talking about cane toads because obviously it's as using as a resource because they they breed like worse than rabbits. Yeah, but actually creating leather. You know, I mean leather yes, from the skin. Yes, yep. But also as a food source, and they're yes, actually the a legs, very yeah. yeah the legs are actually a very you know viable food source. So yes. it was uh, interesting. So I was we're talking about that on the on the news. Yeah, it was interesting. Yeah. 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 Anyway, mate, we are really, really diversifying here. So let's, <laughs> let's get back to bees. And in particular, yes. what I want to talk about, obviously the most uh, commonly encountered situational scenario with bees as pests is swarming, bee yes. swarming. Tell us a little bit about the biology of swarming, you know, why it occurs, when it occurs. Just give us a little bit insight into that. Yeah, no, certainly, Jay. So, so when it comes to swarming, so that's the bee's natural way of reproduction. So we've got a parent hive somewhere. It could be a managed hive from a beekeeper's in the backyard, a feral hive in a tree, you know, or something similar. So usually the start of spring um, is when they uh, will basically half the workers. Half. And the, yeah, approximately half. There is sort of variables there. And, I, and, um, and the reason why I picked my ears up at that is because I've previously been told a third Yes, it can vary, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yep. Uh, 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 now, the reason, actually, it's interesting you, you just mentioned that because it often will vary on the the population of that parent hive, uh, but also weather conditions and floral source, meaning nectar and pollen. So if you've got, if you've got start of spring, we've got good cracking weather and really a lot of um, pollen source and nectar, you'll, when they swarm, they'll, that swarm will generally be bigger. But you're right. If they're, you know, we're in Melbourne. How do they know that? Hope. Well, that's, you know what? That's funny. That, <laughs> that's the million dollar question. Like, that, well, that is. And that's one of the mysteries of the world. So so how do they know who stays and who goes? Yeah. It's amazing. That. So who stays, so who goes? So it's swarm those, they, theory. Well, well, the swarms. Yeah, exactly. So so um, how interesting is that? So there they swarm. They'll come out. They usually will perch somewhere close proximity to the hive, usually in a tree, you know, a branch, you know, something like that. Um, and then usually, once again, weather permitting, three hours, they will go looking for – they'll take off and go land somewhere else because they want to be far away from their parent hive because they don't want to be – they know on a biology point of view, they don't want to be out-competing out competing that parent uh, colony. So, so, so are we talking the newly emerged queen? No, 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 no. So okay. So no, old queen. So old queen. Oh, Dad, that's uh, where the confusion. I've previously yes. been told it's the new queen, but then I also heard, yeah, it's the old queen, and that's why I go, oh, hang on. Okay, okay. No, are you actually a little bit right there? Because what can happen, so this is our primary swarm started swing, uh, started spring, but we can have uh, a little bit later on in the season, we can have these sort of secondary or multiple swarms, and sometimes I'll send out a virgin queen. So um, so, so when that bees produce um, queens, what they'll do, let's say, let's say they're about to swarm, or let's say I'm a beekeeper and I've knocked the queen on the head accidentally. <laughs> what they, what they'll, what they'll do is they will change the pheromone signatures within the hive, and they'll create a hum noise, like a bit of a, of a, what we call in the bee world, like a roar, like it's like a, like a resonating sort of hum, yeah. and they start to pick some larvae that are 24 hours of age because they go through that. 
that four stages of metamorphosis. Um, a couple of larvae, and they'll give them excess royal jelly. Yeah. Uh, approximately about, there's rough, once again, variables there, we'll call it, say, 10 to 12 cells, and excess royal jelly, and they will be turning the queens. Now, those queens hatch after 16 days. A worker is 21 days. A drone or boy bee is 24 days. Um, now, so they're, so they're later. Yes, it's out there. The boys are later because they develop later. Um, obviously, with their reproductive organs, um, they've got two peckers. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you what, they get them. That's right. Like reptiles. That's right. Uh, but what's actually interesting, though, is that the poor, the poor male bees, the boy bees, the drones, they, they get the rough end of the stick because. Exploding penises. Or- Exploding pieces. They're little peckers when they mate with a, with a queen, and that happens out in the air. Yep. Um, what we call these drone congregational areas, so usually around parks. Have you like listened like- to the podcast with me and Cassie Ryan? We did a podcast on the sick and twisted yes. sex life for critters, and we spoke. Oh, I saw, yes, uh, yes, yes. And it started with exploding penises. Exploding penises of the of the, and it's like a click. You can actually hear it. it's like an audible oh, really? noise. Yeah, it's actually audible. So if it's close by, it's obviously, and um, yeah, that poor little drone. That's his uh, life is over, um, and he he drops down dead. And, and it's obviously, it's his genetics is what ca- what gets uh, carried on. It's all which about is genetics. Amazing. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, so yeah. So we've got the queens. They ha- so well. The first one that hatches, so the swarm, half the workers with the old queen take off. Yep. Now that parent colony will produce, you know, roughly. 12 queen cells but that first one that hatches Jay is the one she, she's she'll go around and she'll murder all her sisters oh really and then and then she's that's, that's what that asks mm. like how many queens do they produce well yeah so roughly 12 but it's the first one that hatches is their successor she will go murder her sisters and she's the only one that'll survive okay wow which is which is, um, so which is amazing mm. question why does the old queen want to take off when she's got a perfectly, you know, stable, suitable home. Ah, okay. So if, the, if let's say she didn't take off, mm-hmm. uh, bees would have died out long, long time ago. So so um, that's why there's obviously through, you know, um, evolution, they've obviously, yeah, they've actually, because they come from wasps, bees. That, yes. uh, was it Hemnoptera? That's the one. Um, Same so, as ants. The same as ants, that's right. Um, so they, um, yeah, and so their old queen goes with the workers and, and then, but what happens then? So you've got this old queen. Now, like any animal, you get old, you get a bit, you know, long in the tooth. Mm-hmm. So after approximately, once again, variables there, about two to three months later, the bees will supersede her. So this swarm is set up camp somewhere. Yeah. And they'll, and they'll supersede her. So what they'll do is they'll knock her on the head and they will produce a new queen because that new queen is going to have vigor and, and be more prolific at egg laying. And good looking. So, um, and more good looking and younger. And uh, But a queen can live up to seven years. Oh, I was going um, to ask you that. How long did they before? Seven years. Okay. Seven years. Well, with a worker, springtime is only 40 to 50 days um, during springtime for a worker bee. So it's oh, a big wow. difference. They get work to the bone. Exactly, yeah. Which is, uh, which is I'll tell you another little amazing fact. So, so you're going to ask me the question, Jay, what happens if the queen gets killed and there are no more larvae in the hive to produce a queen? What's going to happen then? Yeah, I've actually, you know what? This ties back to my, uh, I guess, my theory or concept as, as us as pest controllers 
you know, treating bee swarms or not bee swarms, but actually get bee colonies or hives. And, you know, I've always said to the client, as long as we kill the queen, you know, the, the yes. colony, the colony is knackered, but that's not yes. true. Well, it's yes and no, but let's say, let's say we've say we've got a, uh, a colony of bees, the queen's been killed. They've produced some queens. But let's say you've got these beautiful birds up your part of the world called the rainbow bee eater. Oh yeah. Now, let's say, cool. yeah, let, let's say that queen, that new queen, that's oh beautiful bird. I encourage listeners to to um, Google the rainbow beater. Probably one of the most beautiful looking birds, in my opinion. Mm. Um, um, beekeepers, we hate them, but anyway, um, they. Uh, so let's say that queen dies and, and she's on a maiden voyage. She's goes to mate with a drone in the air, and this rainbow beater bird eats oh, that queen. Smashes her. Yeah. Okay. So now they can't produce any more because obviously the development of that larvae is so much more advanced. They can't produce it. So this is amazing. This is what I what I love. So that colony's that's cactus. That's that is all yeah. over that colony. But but what happens? Some of the workers now remember a a worker bee is infertile. Yes. The queen bee is fertile, yes. but uh, but she's infertile. But that some workers can lay eggs, but it's infertile. Okay. So those eggs you're losing me here. Yeah. So those eggs. So so a worker bee can can lay eggs and they'll be infertile. But an infertile egg actually turns into a drone. Yes. So that's where the queen. That's where the queen. When she's laying eggs, it's predominantly she's retained the sperm from the drones and she's laying. All fertile eggs, mm-hmm. um, which are which um, are turn into worker bees, but infertile eggs that she lays are turn into drones. Now, sometimes these these worker bees can lay infertile eggs, turn into drones. Now, what's what's the point? Well, you look at, on a um, on a point of view, a biology point of view, that's amazing because that drone can fly up to they reckon five to seven kilometers. So that drone, if that was to mate with another queen, another colony five, seven kilometers away, that means the genetics from that colony survives. So it's the last fight for survival. So how amazing is that? Yeah, incredible. I'm just, I'm trying to fathom and trying to process it all, actually. Yeah, okay. So, 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 so worker bees, so a worker bee is, is she's laid from a fertile yeah. um, egg. Yep. All right, but but we get to the worker bees now. Worker bees, she's actually infertile. Yes. Right. So 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 when she actually lays an egg, it can actually some workers as a last fight for survival can lay eggs, but those eggs are infertile. So that the worker bee has can't mate. Impossible to mate with uh, drones, but they'll actually turn into a drone because it's a, a drone is derived from an infertile egg. Yeah. Okay. So, 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 and if and if uh, drones hatch, um, their last fight, if they can fly and happen to mate with a queen from another colony, that's their last fight for genetic survival. Isn't that incredible? It, uh, yeah, uh, social insects—they're just mind blowing. Oh, amazing, absolutely. Yeah. Just, just their survival, even, just their survival yeah. strategies. It's just incredible. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Okay, so uh, an old queen leaves the hive, takes approximately fifty percent of the actual workers with her, plus the um, a few handful of drones. They fly off. Now, why is it that sometimes they'll just pull up somewhere and just clump on an end of a branch? Um, a car. A car. <laughs> yes. A car. Uh, yep. Just random places. And how do they choose a new site location? Well, 
Who chooses a new, yes, yeah. who chooses a new site location? I, okay, so everyone's going to think, well, that queen's the boss. And it actually is not true. So the queen is not the boss of the colony. All she is is an egg-laying machine. That's yep. all she's designed to do. So the, the, who is the boss? Well, it's actually the collective. So all of them, they actually all work together. So how do Swan they know theory. where to go? Have you read Swan, Swan Theory? No, no, I've heard of it, but I haven't. No, I haven't read it. Read it. it, it it's read, a okay. theory of how um, social insects, in particular, make decisions. Okay, and it's called swarm theory. So it applies to not only bees, it also applies to ants, it also applies to termites, so forth. But what they've actually been able to do is, and it's basically what you just said, it's a collective decision by collective. the entire colony, and Correct. they've actually yes. been able to be into. Uh, I guess replicate this into the logistics industry. So trucking, believe it or not. So what they've actually been able to do is actually, um, so, you know, um, picture a trucking industry, right? So uh, transport industry and they've got to go deliver goods from one point to another point, right? So what they actually do is they actually collate or collect all the data from each individual truck from from point A to point B, and work out which is the the shortest route, and then that all that data gets collated, and they then collectively work out what is the shortest route along yeah. along those lines. So anyway, yeah, okay. they've been yeah. trying to replicate swarm theory into logistics or trucking industry to work out the best and most efficient way of being able to transport um, stock or product from A to B, and that's exactly what bees do, and exactly what ants do, working out the most efficient way of getting from point A to point B. Um, and it's not the queen sitting back at the hive going, all right, guys, you need to go this way or you need yes, to go exactly. here. It's basically all the individuals coming back with small, tiny little bits of information, um, passing it on to everybody, and then collectively uh, it creates this decision. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's actually, it is. The, oh, social insects, you know, even – outside of bees you just go wow just how they you know they work and they respond to their environment is mm. absolutely incredible mm. no, so basically makes- basically the, the guts of it is that so as you know how bees come back to the hive they'll do their little bee dance a little wiggle yes. and pass on a, a piece of information so i like to use ants ants are my favorite um social yes. insect uh, so basically, if, if an ant finds a food source, what happens is um, one ant comes back and passes on part of the actual information or the instructions or the messages. Um, but the more ants that keep coming back from that food source, the more reinforced that actual message is, right, okay. or more pieces of that actual message get passed on. So then, of course, okay. more ants from the actual colony or nest get then sent out to that potential food source. As that food source starts to decline or it gets consumed, there's less food source there, so there is less ants coming back as frequent. So less messages are coming back, um, and that message is gets is not as reinforced. So then yeah. less ants get sent out. So then of course it declines, and that's essentially how swarm theory works. Yeah, that's amazing. Isn't that incredible? Absolutely amazing. It's it's awesome. And isn't it absolutely awesome? All right, let's um, get back to your bees. Yes. Yeah, so, so swarms, so what they'll do, so what they're looking for is they're looking for a space, a void. Now, something ideally dark. Yeah. Um, obviously, sometimes we can have these open-air hives where, you know, usually it's weather is why they'll actually stay in a, in a branches of a tree and create a hive there. It is on the rarer side, but it does happen. But they're wanting possum boxes, compost bins, you know, um, garbage bins, sides yeah. of the houses. They're, they're looking uh, trees, 
hollow logs of trees, that type of thing. They're, they're wanting to have that void. Now, ideally, something of about 20 litre volume or more is okay. what they're after. Okay. Mm. So, so they're after that and uh, obviously to create the new home. So that's how they obviously reproduce and then they um, obviously looking for that. So that's where as, as pesties, when they're in a swarm, and I've got a couple of tips for the pesties as well. To this make is a what I'm after. Extra, this is what we want. Oh, this is, this is amazing. So this will help pesties not only look good, but add an extra little side hustle, little side income to their business. All right, so so what I encourage, no matter where you are in Australia, if not the world, if you're a pesty and you get called out um, to a to a swarm, and it could be hanging off a uh, a branch that's chest height. Now, rather than obviously you know dust them with a bit of coupex uh, or, or whatever, whatever can I, is. Can I ha- have it, have it, in a minute, yeah. can I tell you a story, Ben? Yes, yeah, tell me. Yes, yes. Right now, okay. So yeah, in my early me. days as a pesty, um, I was taught. Um, to actually dust um, bees, obviously, you know, yes. you know yeah, yeah. in, in yeah. a war void, you get the old duster and blow it in there and yeah. all yes. good. I got called to a uh, a swarm one day, you know, this is in my first year, year or two as a pesty, and there was yes. a swarm basically hanging on, I think it was a rose bush by memory, um, okay. and I looked at it, okay, so I grabbed my duster and, and I just walked up to it and I started dusting them. And then, of course, you can imagine what happens. I just had bees just dropping oh, out of the skies dropped, everywhere, yes. just absolutely everywhere. Because how many bees are in a typical swarm? Oh, about six to 12,000. Yep. 6,000 yep. usually. So yep. I had six yep. to 12,000 bees falling out of the sky, landing on the footpath across the road from a shopping complex. And so oh, no I looked across and I saw people running for cover, ducking for cover, <laughs> putting newspapers over well. their heads and putting their shopping yes. over their heads and and I'm parked at the front of this house with pest control um, on the vehicle and so, yeah, I quickly jumped in my car and took off quick oh, smart and said, never to do that again. Yes, yeah, that's uh, – it's interesting where, where pesties now – actually go you know some some of the big guys down here the real big pesties actually will not touch bees at all yeah okay. so, so they're, they're, yeah so um so rent rent a kill is yep. one yep. they actually will not any bees stuff no they just won't do which is which is awesome but 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 let's say okay you're a pesty and this is how this is the trick right there are beekeepers and, and yes. i'm one of them you yep. know what i mean that will that will buy that swarm yeah Right, so so if you've you've got that you're a pesty, what you can do is find your beekeeper. No matter yeah. where you are, have a chat to him. Say, listen, you got a few spare boxes, right? A couple of new boxes. Now, ideally, sort of well ventilated ones, um, you know, like a ventilated base. And and if you're not sure if you're pesty and you and you're a bit worried or whatever, um, you know, get a beekeeper to show you. But basically, you drop them in a box. So, like as you said, the one on the rose bush. Box underneath, give it a shake. Takes all about twenty seconds. Close the lid, presto. Yeah, right. You've you've got the swarm, but that that has got a certain, that's got a value, and obviously it's a value in the sense of it's a it's a creature, it's beautiful bees. But what you can do is find a beekeeper and say it might, might it might be a slab of ear, could be could be fifty bucks, right? That that is a little side little side hustle. So you're looking good in front of a client. Yep. You're going to make a couple of extra bucks. Yep. Um, it's obviously great for the, the bees. You know, I mean, the bees, they get to live and, and be good. And the other thing is too, as you mentioned, obviously, if you've got a swarm and you dust them, the biggest thing is there's carnage. Yeah. And, it's, there, you've got thousands, there's, you've got thousands of bees dead on the ground that stay there for weeks and weeks and weeks. So it looks hideous yep. for, for yep. the clients. And, but, you know, talk to a beekeeper 
and and find, and, and I actually do this with a couple of pasties here. Um, it works for them, works for me. Give them, give them, you know, a few bucks for the swarm like the pine with the gear, and everyone's a winner. You know, I increase my numbers. I can help. You know, what I mean, sometimes other beekeepers. There is a bit. We can start getting a bit technical because we do have to quarantine them yeah. to a certain degree. There and are that's, diseases. That's what mm. I want to get to, actually, because I know um, I started doing, started referring swarms to um, beekeepers. And yes. for me, I found it was hard to actually get a beekeeper to actually come out and do the job because they just, there wasn't a value in it because they're, they're worried about diseases and, and so yes. forth. Yep. Um, and I had an incident there where I, there was a, sw- uh, not a swarm, it was actually a colony in actual, uh, an enclosed fence. So it was a fence okay. and I thought, oh, easy cut out. And so, and the customer actually uh, hinted that they actually wanted the swarm removed rather than destroyed. Yes. Yep. So yep. I said, yep, no drama. So I organized the beekeeper to come out and do it. The beekeeper, uh, stuffed me and the client ran a little yeah. bit and they had the client ringing me going, when's he coming, when's he coming, when's he coming and I'll, I'll get on to him, I'll get on to him. And anyway, the beekeeper came but he did the cutout on the front side of the fence rather than the back side of the fence ah, so okay. it was visible to the actual road. So the client was rather annoyed and yep. pinned it on me um, okay. and, and went at me for it and I'm oh, really? So I, I've sort of stop referring to beekeepers but what i have been doing is you know as you also said um i carry get a couple of buckets in the office with uh fly wire that have actually ironed into the actual buckets so if i actually get a swarm i'll actually just go and collect it myself and just sweep the bees into that actual bucket um and then i'll message the actual beekeepers hey look mate i've got a swarm here if you want it come and collect Uh, simple as that and the big thing that i look at it's it's that positive spin to the actual yes. client. I'm not right. that mindless killer killing anything and everything. Um, and so regardless of whether or not the beekeeper ends up picking it up or not, um, as far as the customer is concerned, I've actually removed or relocated that swarm. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Now, now it's interesting, on a, on a monetary, let's talk business here, yep. on, a, on a monetary point of view, a lot of people will go and uh, will say, Oh, a beekeeper will remove it for nothing. Now, <clears throat> issue is a lot of beekeepers, you know, they're hobbyist beekeepers. Well, they're busy. They've got other jobs. You know, what I mean, they're doing other things. But you find there's there's other businesses like myself, you know, around Melbourne, every every state of um, of Australia will actually be able to, you know, utilize that. Even clubs, you know, there's there's, there's it's insane. The amount of beekeeping clubs are insane. Well, I mean, you indicated but, just how big the bee industry is just with oh, the number of yeah. attendees to the conferences. So it is a massive, massive industry. So there's definitely exactly. people out there, yeah. Exactly. So, so I think I think for aligning yourself with, you know, a good beekeeper, you know what I mean? So, yep. so someone, okay, I'm not – I say this in the most humblest possible way, but someone like myself – and there's pesties there, and if a pestie you know listens to this come springtime and goes, hey Benny, you know I'll, I'll look after them because I know it's the, it's work for them because they've got to drive and so forth. But I was going to say, don't a lot of people undervalue, and and so there are hobbyist beekeepers that will do it for free, and this is probably the biggest gripe that I have. So people ring me up, so I got bees. Do you want them? <laughs> right, and, and I'll say. Well, I can save them for you, but, but there's a charge. And so, oh, aren't they going to just make honey? I said, well, if it was that easy, I'd be driving around in a in a, uh, a Ferrari or a Maserati. 
so so it's very complex to actually obviously the honey side of things but you know and obviously setting up you know for the beehive you've obviously got woodware you've got to nurture them obviously frames it all adds up it's worth but, you know it is it is work, and I'm not sure as far as pricing goes. But you know what, I I charge, and I'll, I'll tell listeners to give them an idea because I want you know what I mean to to value pesties to save swarms. Yeah. But in Melbourne, I get two hundred and twenty dollars for local swarms. Okay. And wow. and yeah, and 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 as high as if it's insurance jobs on a, on a Sunday, you know I can I can get well and truly over the $1,000 mark if it's after hours and, you know, 4 o'clock on a Sunday evening. You know, so so for a swarm, you know, and if it's like an insurance type thing or... So that is removal of a swarm. That is a basic swarm. So we're not we're not talking cut, cut outs cutouts here. No, and, cutouts, and, that's, yeah. Uh, no, that's, no, that's another, another story. Also, but yeah. for, a, for a swarm, and now obviously, you know, I've got every, like, like we all should have, every certificate, you know, white cards, working with heights, you know, working with children's certificates for schools and and all of that. And so, and I do get people and sometimes you get the, a client, well, I'm not paying money. I said, that's fine. You know what I mean? And, and then problem is all the other flip side too is I'll, I, and I get this all the time, which is unfortunate is, oh, they'll go. I'll just leave. Well, the problem is, I don't, I don't know what people think. They're just going to fly off into the never, never. <laughs> but he's got to go somewhere. So, so yeah. So I think, so as far as pesties looking to increase revenue, make them look good and specialize as well. I, th- I think there's a, there's a, there is plenty. Cause I, I okay. I, I, once again, I'm not, I'm not over exaggerating. I'm not being a typical bloke, but come October, I exceed, exceed over a hundred phone calls a day. Seriously? Now, I, I'm, 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 I'm under exaggerating, under exaggerating. So my, my phone, I got an iPhone and it can be chock-a-block. Now, the only way I get to people um, with swarms is I'm a message bank, and if you ring me now and it went to message bank, um, it says, um, please take a photo, send me a short description, including your suburb, yep. and I will get back to you on a quote. So I can go – so my phone can go crazy, and I can go, okay, well, there's one Bentley, Carnegie, Murrumbina, okay. South. Yeah, so I so I do that. So, but if I'm driving, I'll get one in, say Rosanna, one in Yarraville, another one in Baronia. I'm driving all over the place, so I can actually isolate it. But but for the pesties, and you know, I'll I'll look after them um, for any listeners. And uh, if you get swarms, and um, yeah, I uh, I will give them a, f- a few bucks for it for the for them to make a little little side hustle. Hmm. And and it and the way I look at it, it's just pos- a positive spin on our industry rather than being the, the mindless killers that we're betra- often portrayed as. Uh, I, I th- you know what? I think Jay. I think jumping on that, I, there is a. It's really different now. You know, what I mean, go back ten years ago uh, when when I was sort of getting right into it. You know, there was it was happening all the time. A lot of pesties would would knock a swarm that was you know with a bit of dust them yep. a bit of astro spray or whatever. Uh, on a rose bush, but now I tell you what, it's it's on the rare side. It, it's in Melbourne. It's becoming more and, and more popular now to actually. Oh, yeah. it is, yeah, and, um, and that's where people relocate. And yeah. that's where, exactly, that's where people say, "Well, why are you charging? Well, someone would charge to euthanize them or kill them." And so, yeah, so it's um, it's an interesting one. It's a really interesting one, and it's and I tell you now, and I really encourage your listeners, bees 
are taking off. The amount of beekeepers, so so the statistics now, so we go back, I think it was... Backyard in, hobbyists, there's just a massive um, oh. culture now. Okay, so 20, so 20, I think, don't quote me on these exact figures, but 2015, uh, no, I'm going to be, sorry, 2014, so what's that, six, uh, what's that, six, eight years ago, there was, I think it was four and a half, five thousand registered beekeepers in Victoria. Yeah. Um, go fast forward uh, six, seven years to now, yeah. I just saw the recent stats. In Victoria alone, there are over 17,000 registered beekeepers. So that's tripled. That's yeah, tripled exactly, tripled. So tripled. Now the big, the big part of that is um, what's called a flow hive. So there was oh, a new invention. The old flow hive. On, yeah. The old flow hive on Indiegogo. That was the that crashed. I think it crashed the site. That that crowdfunding campaign. Are you a flow hive fan or not? Uh, no, uh, interesting. And and I had because um, it's it's, it's divided, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I, yeah. Okay. So when someone asked me that question, so I had Steve Anderson on my podcast. Um, on the bees we've been, it was it was interesting. So so what I I'll, I'll tell positives and negatives. The, the positive is they're a beautiful looking hive. They're well made, good Aussie product, all made here. The only thing is I'm not a personal fan of um, is the actual flow frame. So that's where the bees yeah. uh, convert the nectar and the honey is plastic. Yeah. But, but not only is that plastic, it's a plastic cell. So we're fundamentally forcing the bee to do something completely unnatural. All right, as opposed to draw out its own hexagonal yeah, whack yeah. structure. So now, once again, I'm talk. I'm not talking opinion. I'm talking science behind the bees. I'm not yeah. saying they don't work. They do work. They do work. But so, yeah, I'm on the fence with them. I'm I'm, I'm neither for. I'm neither against. Yeah, I know. Speaking to a couple of beekeepers, they're either hate them. You know, they're taking away from that being proactive, looking at your bees, maintaining your actual bees. Um, yes. And then others go, that's awesome because it's actually encouraging beekeeping. Correct, correct, yeah. both sides. And I think, yeah. well, I think, I think with anything, there's a, there's a positive and a negative. You know, what I mean, there's you know with with certain things, you know, what I mean, that's um, positive and negatives. But I think the fly hive definitely positive there. It's created a, a, an industry as as well because it's you know I think they've got about sixty staff working full time. Um, thereabouts. It's a it's an awesome Aussie family. Just up up your way, broken broken heads. Yes, not far from you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so really really good, a lovely family. Um, but yeah, I think some, sometimes the problem is just what you just mentioned there. People will often they think it's too easy. Uh, I think that's sort of sometimes people go, I'll put bees in there, we'll get honey, we'll come out in the morning with our crumpets and a bit of, uh, <laughs> a bit of, bit of butter and we'll, we'll turn the tap and off we go. But no, it's far more complicated. That, but people realise that. Yeah. Uh, they soon realise that, hang on, okay, well, we're going to do some work here. And the good thing is they're not cheap. You're looking about a grand for the setup. So you're sort yeah, of – Yeah, they're excellent. You, you, yeah. yeah, that's right. So you've you sort of got a certain demographic of people who – yeah, you're going to spend that money. You're going to want to make it work as well. So, but yeah, yeah, cool. Hmm. Yeah, um, but yeah, but yeah. yeah. Uh, hey, mate, look, this podcast's gone for an hour and ten minutes, and we've no, only, really, we've, I got more to say, Jay. We've only <laughs> just scratched the surface when well, it comes to bees. Yes, uh, I know. Yeah, so let's wrap it up because okay. I, we've got at least another couple of podcasts on this for sure I reckon oh, we've only just touched on it um, I think yeah I'm going to try and keep them to an hour otherwise they get a bit long um, mate I have I've had an absolute blast I've really enjoyed this I'm I'm learning so much just chatting to you 
Oh, that's awesome. Thanks for having me, Jay. This has been, been great. And keep up your great work with your podcast. Like, seriously, it's uh, been listening to them. They're absolutely awesome. Really, really cool. So hats off to you for making this work. Uh, really thank cool. you, mate. Um, so the ne- next podcast, we'll obviously continue a little bit more with the swarming theory, I reckon, swarming behavior, because I reckon there's a lot more in there, um, just yeah. in their temperaments, because I noticed that um, when they're swarming, they're just so docile and placid. Yeah. You can do whatever you want with them. Um, so I reckon we talk a little bit more on that and then a little bit more about, you know, bee biology, obviously. Um, and, you know, oh, and that's the other thing I want to talk to you about is different bee strains. Yes. That was something I learnt very early on the piece is that there's not just bees, there's a few different strains and they're all varying temperament and behaviour. That's right. Apis mellifera, and then we've got some obviously various subspecies, uh, Canica and Legustica, and so, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. So I really want to get into that. And then I reckon we, um, you're a man of um, lots of knowledge when it comes to actual social insects or social stinging insects, I should say, um, and we'll get into um, paper wasps and some of our native bee species as well. Yeah, that would be awesome, especially the wasps. Jay, it's that I find them absolutely fascinating. In the same token, I hate the little such and suches because they really hurt. I'm actually, you'll see, I'm timid around European wasps, and and actually, it's interesting. We'll talk lots about those in the next podcast. But I I, I get good income from those, and in Melbourne, it is amazing the amount of nests that are around uh, Vespula germanica. That nasty little vulgar thing. Absolutely nasty. It's funny how you pronounce it Vespula. I, I've always pronounced it as Vespula, but yeah, I guess it's just because yeah. I guess it's I've just read it and I've never actually thought of how it's actually pronounced. Vespula. Vespula. Is it a bit like, um, is it like castle or castle? Yeah. Castle? Yeah. castle? It's, yeah. Vespula Germanica is how, what do you say? Vespula. 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 Yeah, that's, I like that. Vespula. 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 Yeah, it's hey, kind of, hey yeah. mate, it's like Womer and Woma. Yeah, well, yeah, that's right, Womer. That's yeah. That's Do you pronounce it Womer or Woma? Well, no, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Womer. Yeah, I'm a Womer python. But yeah, I remember Womer. I actually spoke to a, a fellow herper, and he said no, Woma is the actual correct pronunciation because Woma is an actual Aboriginal or Indigenous um, name, and it's pronounced Woma. Interesting. Now I'm trying to remember what's um, Aspidites. Aspidites. Yep. Aspidites. Uh, Ram- Ramsey eye. Ramsey Eye, that's the one. Aspidise Ramsey Eye. You know what? The go. listeners are listening right now going, what the hell are they talking about? Sorry, uh, li- sorry, listeners, it's Herpa Talk uh, or rep- Reptile Talk. So it's the uh, scientific name or Latin name of the Woma Python or Woma Python, Aspidise Ramsey Eye or AKA, AKA the Ramsey's Python. That's, that's right. And it's interesting too. I've just got to say, obviously, we've got to wrap this up soon, but – Interesting, and I think it's important for listeners and pesties, you know, a little bit of knowledge because knowledge is power. Yes. If I you throw out a couple of, without sounding like a like a, an idiot, like a bit of a you know a wanker, if I'm allowed to say that, but but you know, saying some scientific names because makes you sound you know, intelligent. Just, well, it makes you sound intelligent, <laughs> but 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 also too, there's actually meaning. We could be talking about say Vespula germanica or Vespula vulgaris. Oh, yeah. very different. Yeah, mm. I'm a massive fan of uh, scientific names, Latin names, Sorry. because it it gives you a clue. As soon as I hear a, a Latin name or a scientific name, it actually gives you clues as to actually what it is if you don't actually know what it is. Um, That's true. Yeah, I mean, it's like, let's relate it back to pesties and pest control. You know, field mouse versus house mouse. 
It's exact or ship rat versus black rat versus roof rat. It's exactly the same species, but however, ratus ratus is the actual scientific name. There is only one scientific name. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. What's well, it's like? Um, and the other thing is too, just like as you mentioned there, like say um, Melanocephalus. When we look at that, huh? I think so. It was uh, Aspidiaes melanocephalus. Oh yeah. So, so yep. black headed python. So Sorry. Yeah, so we look. So I think having. Oh, uh, actually, you know what the big. Yeah, yeah, sorry, keep going. Well, no, I was just going to say with the name. So, so knowing the names, you can actually um, say Milano being black and then Cephalus being head. So yeah. it's actually, you can use, you, there's actually a bit of um, the whole Latin names and things. I, I find it's interesting because it actually tells you what that is. There is hmm. heaps. Uh, I mean, like the most common one, Canis familiaris, which is family dog. Canis being canine yes. and familiaris being Latin for family, right. family, family dog. That's right. Exactly. We should do one. Uh, we should do a podcast on on um, someone from like the museum, the museum. Talk about that sounds good. You know, it's all about. I, I mate, me and you can talk about Latin names and scientific names. Just the two of us, <laughs> I reckon, just listening to us. <laughs> um, the other big one, obviously, you being a herper as well. We're getting really, really sidetracked here, but um, uh, so take us Australis. Which is the other? Uh, now here you go, uh, king brown snake, right? Yes. So everyone thinks king brown snake. It's a brown snake. It's they, people think that it's related to eastern brown snake, but it's actually a member of the black snake family. So, but if you right. look at the actual um, scientific name, um, Sudacus, which is the same genus as your red belly black snake, Sudacus porphyricus, which is the scientific name for red belly black snake. Interesting. I, I, quick question on the snakes. Mm-hmm. I know. I know. We're sort of. We're going. Um, we're going to extend the day. This is why I started wrapping. This is why I started wrapping up ten minutes ago, because yeah, I, I knew it was going to drag on. <laughs> so, so, question for the for do you do snake removals up there? Uh, well, I was going to mention it partway through the podcast there is I used to. So obviously from Victoria, I used to do snake removals down there. I used to yep. be a, um, a snake catcher down there. Uh, and then when I moved to Queensland, uh, being a pest controller, I did every type of work I could possibly do to bring in yes. income and revenue. And yeah, I was doing snake removal. Um, but I soon canned it very, very, very quickly. Um, okay. Because Why is that? Um, a couple of reasons. Um, when I was down with Tori, you got to call out for a snake, and it's guaranteed it's going to be an eastern brown or a tiger snake. And in, yeah. in my mindset, I do everything I can, bend over backwards to get there. I don't even talk about price. For me, it's just about um, you know saving the person that's actually got you know the snake in their house or in their backyard because yes. um, there yep. is a real potential risk. In Queensland, it is a totally different scenario. 90% of call-outs I was getting up here is green tree snakes and carpet pythons. So I was getting people I was getting people saying, oh, we've got a, you know, a lime green snake with a yellow belly um, out on our back fence or a carpet python curled up in a back pot plant and you need to get here now. And I'm going, oh, how awesome is that? You've got a, you know, carpet python yeah, backyard. Exactly. And, yeah, but no, people just, no, they need you here now. So it, it, when I turn around and say no, I can't. I'm in the middle of doing a termite inspection, or you know, a general pest treatment, or a bed bug treatment, or something like that. People go, no, you don't understand. I have a real phobia of snakes. I have a snake in my backyard. You are a snake catcher. You need to come here now yeah. and collect yeah. that snake. And then I say, all right, I can do that, but it's going to be eighty dollars for me to come and collect it. Eighty dollars. You're a rip off. You're just going to put in your collection anyway. And that was the thing I used to get. And you were saying about uh, people ringing you and saying, you know. Uh, you know how much for they come and collect this swarm, so to speak. Well, I'd get people coming up. How much will you give me oh, for this snake? Really? 
for um, this for this little tree snake. Yeah, yeah. and I'm going, oh, I don't keep common wild snakes. Sorry. Yeah. Um. So that's why people look at it and they go, "Oh, you do it for love." It well, yes and no. Yeah. Um, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that snake has every right to be there. Um, and it's yeah, exactly. just it's just yeah. part of the environment that we actually live in. So yeah, I mean, look, if someone rang me up and said they had an eastern brown snake in the middle of a childcare centre, I wouldn't yeah. even question. I wouldn't even yes. mention price. I'd be just there yeah, straight yeah. away. Hundred percent, I, I agree. Yeah. I, now, I've got one one more question, final question for you, Jay. Yeah, what what would you say be the hardest part of having a pest, being a pesky, being having a pest control business? What would be the hardest part? Dealing with people. Okay, so other than that, other than, <laughs> other than dealing with people. What would be the hardest part? Second, second part, second, second uh, thing. Dealing with finances. Okay, so so, so when you say that, so because it's an interesting one when we talk about um, you know, businesses, and we're all got our own little sort of things that we're all going on, and so forth, and we can work with each other. As I said, I work with pesties and other beekeepers and so forth, but it's it's interesting. So, so finances, and as far as management, or oh, just having to, just just having to do your finances and your bookkeeping and everything like that. So, in other words, what I'm saying is that if I got uh, an unlimited bank account, um, or I got a basically a salary that I was given for the entire year, and I didn't yep. have to actually invoice my individual clients, I just got a set salary for the entire year. Um, yep. Pest control would be freaking awesome. I just go yeah. and do my yeah. job, deal with the actual critters. Um, yep. You know, say good day to the customer, and then just move on, and not have to worry about invoicing or what the charge, and follow up, chasing up payments. You know, paying the tax man, all that kind of stuff. Okay, interesting. Okay, have all I, right. Have I he- headed the right way you're dire- directing? Oh no, yeah, no. Just it's interesting, and as far as that, you know, what what, what you mentioned there. What, what about on the flip side to that question? I know me the last question just turned into two, but is it, what, what about what's the, what's the best part for you, Jay? Best part? Um, um, Talking critters to people. Um, I love talking about the biology of critters um, in general um, and anybody that listens. So typically a client rings me, they've got a a pest issue or something like that, and for me being able to go there and just talk to them about the biology and life cycles of the actual critters and you can tell you're captivated their interest and you can tell they're going, this guy knows what he's talking about and that you can actually – the enthusiasm, just like you, you just love reading that enthusiasm yep. from them. Isn't isn't that interesting? The best and the worst part of the business is the people. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Right. as I said, pest control would be awesome, but you have to deal with people. Yeah, exactly. But, but it's also the best, though. It's actually both. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Best part, the best uh, part. But I, I love the constant learning as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, Constantly yeah. learning, yeah. yeah. I agree. Yeah. No, that was... Um, Awesome. Well, I look forward. Uh, thank you so much, Jay. That was absolutely what a cracking episode. Thank you so much. I could talk for another hour and a half again. Oh, 100%, uh, mate. Absolutely 100%. Yeah. But I'm thinking, poor listeners. Um, yeah, they might be falling asleep. <laughs> yeah. Find the wheel. No, no, no. <laughs> but we'll definitely um, we'll schedule a couple more of these because I reckon we, we could talk all night on this. Um, yeah, that's So, awesome. listeners, I hope you really got something out of this. Um, I know I have just. You know, Ben, you're just so enthusiastic. It's just so contagious with your enthusiasm and just – actually, I'm actually wowed at your knowledge, actually. You were blowing me away there with some of your figures you were actually saying and just some of your knowledge. I mean, I've listened to a lot of your podcasts and, yeah, you've taken it to a whole new level just talking to you um, tonight. 
Thank you. That was amazing. That was awesome. No, I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Cool. I'm, I'm actually looking forward to it. So we better make it sooner than rather than later, mate. Um, we'll, pre- done, done we'll, pre- we'll pre-record them and then I can just release them at, at my leisure. So uh, anyway, listeners, I'll catch you guys on another episode of Pesty Profiles with more bees. Thank you.